0: Hey there, and welcome to season two of the Kraken Busters, where we are exploring the great sea monster crisis of 1987. This is episode 210, Operation Treble Hook. I'm Keith Pilley. So, last week, a lot of shit went down in Washington. Just as Robert Kennedy addressed the nation to help reinforce the whole stay out of the North Atlantic because a Soviet naval accident made it too radioactive cover story, a Soviet agent in Washington made contact with a CIA staffer to deliver a packet of photos of the president and his brother separately in bed with a pop star who was married to neither of them. Oops. This prompted fevered discussion at the White House about how to respond to the implied blackmail threat, with several official advisors telling RFK that he should try to back away from the cover-up as fast as possible, and his brothers John and Edward suggesting that he double down. Characteristically, RFK listened to his brothers and ordered the Navy to get cracking on wiping out the Krakens while he continued to bluff the Soviets. This week, the Navy Gets Rolling... At a spot in the North Atlantic that had been designated Point Option, approximately 600 miles southwest of Reykjavik, ships assigned to the U.S. Atlantic fleet had been steadily massing for days. The assembled force included not just the flag island and the carrier battle group that had accompanied her on the mission to plant the radioactive evidence. By now, an additional carrier battle group had joined with its screening vessels Plus several other task forces worth of surface ships, including the USS Wisconsin, the last active battleship in the Atlantic fleet, an Iowa-class monster that had served in both World War II and the sea monster crisis of the 40s and 50s. Pretty much every American surface ship in the Atlantic was now part of the Armada. Only submarines weren't included. And this was just because no one could think of a good way to use them in this situation, and nobody wanted to risk them getting squished underwater and creating an actual radioactive contamination problem. The Armada remained under the overall command of Admiral Matt Yellen, but the operational order for Operation Treble Hook as worked out in a theoretical manner by the Navy Bureau of War Plans years ago and hurriedly adapted for actual use by the Naval General Staff over the past few days, didn't actually call for the fleet to stay together in one large unit. Instead, the treble hook plan was simple. After loading up with as much anti-creature ammunition as possible from the supply ships that had been sent to the rally point, the warships would split off into a total of 12 smaller task forces. The creature exclusion zone had been divided into a corresponding 12 action areas, each more or less a square, and each task force would go off to its designated square and go full search and destroy on anything with tentacles. The Troublehook plan relied heavily on air assets, from the armada's several aircraft carriers and amphibious assault ships, as well as the helicopters that cruisers and battleships carried, playing a sort of pooled role. In all sectors, planes like the P-3 Orion, which were usually used for anti-submarine warfare, would drop buoys with sonar transceivers set to broadcast pulses of sound at 46 kilocycles. In the late 40s, if you remember from Season 1, the sea creature's tropism towards sound at that frequency was the backbone of Project Mousetrap, the program that had wiped them out. In the 1987 iteration, there wouldn't be explosive barges or any of the other hallmarks of the mouse trap system, of course. Instead, the idea was that the Orion-dropped buoys in each of the search squares would attract all of the nearby monsters, which would then be attacked and destroyed by that square's assigned task force. And, of course, airdropped anti-creature munitions were expected to be on call from the teams of jets continually in the air from the Armada's four carriers. After receiving the go signal for treble hook late in the night of May 12th, Yellen ordered the operation into effect on the morning of the 13th. In a surprisingly smooth manner, given how ad hoc and improvised the whole operational plan was, the Armada split up into its assigned task forces, which then hurried off to their assigned search areas. Task Force 17.3 was centered around the missile cruiser USS San Jacinto and the amphibious assault ship Flag Island. The Flag Island was, at this point, just operating as a standard naval vessel, with the Detachment 69 team that was still on board operating now just as passengers and observers, and helpers of course, because there was no way a guy like Javier Delgado was going to sit out a fight like this. I was able to ask him about it. Quote, Yeah, it was kind of a letdown when we made the pivot to regular Navy action, and it just became Bullock's ship again. I mean, Bullock had to listen to the Admiral on the San Jacinto that was leading the task group, I think his name was Rogers, and Rogers had to listen to Yellen. You, you get the picture. The important thing was that I didn't get to call the shots anymore, and that's a lot less fun. But there was still a job to do, and all of us freaks on board were glad to help out any way we could. So out we went. We had Sector 3, us in the San Jacinto, and a bunch of little guys as a screen, The way the deployment worked, we had to sail in through Sector 5 to get to our zone, so we actually started fighting a little early to help the five boys get their shit cleaned up too. We kind of fought as we steamed forward. It was a lot like the mission to dump the evidence, really. Ships go forward in a pretty tight cluster, frigates and destroyers ringing around the flag island and the San Jacinto in the middle, giant fucking swarm of helicopters buzzing around all of it. When we were just passing through Sector 5, the creature attacks were pretty intermittent, Just cruising along, then one of the frigates gets wrapped by tentacles, then usually the marines on board go into action first to cut them clear with those combat chainsaws, then the helos swarm in and drop what they can, and finally anti-creature rounds from someone's deck gun finishes it off. Something like that, anyway, depending on the type of creature attacking. If it was a sea serpent, pretty much the same, except the fucking thing's either trying to constrict itself around the ship or headbutt its way through the hull plating. If we saw a giant shark moving in, or one of those big new fucking jellyfish setting up shop on the surface, Rogers' folks would just call in an airstrike, and a couple of the A6s that were always orbiting around would swoop in and cook the fuckers. We never saw anything like the old kelp man here. I think the water was too deep. Maybe they were down standing on the bottom shaking their fists at us. I don't know. Anyway, character of everything changed a little when we got through Sector 5 and into our own sector. We still had to fight our way through, of course, and Kosti and I spent a lot of time popping out in our little attack hovercraft to take it to the fuckers, but it was a little bit different, because we got the word that our Orion had dropped its noise buoy, and we wanted to get to it and start kicking ass in like a more centralized way. So we moved in towards the buoy, and Jesus H. Christ on a snowplow, was that something I never thought I'd see. The water around the buoy drop zone was just absolutely boiling with monsters on the surface, all trying to jockey each other aside to get to the goddamn buoy. Squids, octopi, sharks, serpents, some big fucking eel that kept zapping electricity. I just couldn't believe how many fucking sea monsters there were. All giant, although I think in the lingo of the 40s they would have classified them as lesser creatures, or maybe a couple of secondaries. Nothing big enough to be a primary, not for us. And they all hated the noise that buoy was kicking out, and they didn't give the tiniest shit about us when they heard that. Costy and I and our crew had been pretty busy in the assault hovercraft when we were en route, zipping around the hulls of ships and burning off tentacles, but that had dried up as we got closer to the buoy, and we made sure to stay the hell back as we got close. Rogers had called in for a bunch of A7s loaded with flechette bombs to hit the buoy point just as we got in range. And they did. Came in low and slow, six planes, each dropping two bombs dead on. These bombs had been developed out of some shit that had worked in the 40s, each one exploding and sending out a little cloud of razor-sharp darts and shrapnel just cut the shit out of any sea monster flesh that was above water or even shallow. After the Corsairs were clear, Rogers ordered everybody with deck guns to open up and just saturate the whole creature zone with high explosive shells. Then this followed with the San Jacinto kicking off a bunch of missiles. I tell ya, I've been to sea for a long fucking time and I've seen a lot of shit, but I've never seen a little surface force just unload like that. I gotta say, as an old sailor, it really warms your heart. Those ships can kick some ass when they need to. The barrage went on I don't even know how long. Felt like forever, but you know how combat goes. Really, it was maybe five, ten minutes. It felt like what you read about in World War one just artillery fire pouring down on the trenches. Anyway, eventually it ended, and after letting the smoke clear for a minute, Rogers ordered a pair of helos in to take a look at the results. As it happened, my buddy Hickok was up in his special little freaks gunship, and he managed to finagle his way in to be one of the eyes in the sky. Hickok reported back, and this was on an open channel that we could all hear, and you damn well better believe that every radio in the goddamn task force was tuned in, that it looked like there'd been pretty high mortality among the sea creatures. The water was full of blood and parts, he said. Couldn't estimate numbers, because it just looked like raw hamburger floating in the water, but it was pretty clear that we'd gotten a bunch of them. But definitely not all, because there were already giant sharks moving in, drawn in by the blood, feeding on all the just severed parts. Also, he reported, we'd managed to finally blow our noise buoy to hell. They made him tough, but not that tough. So, all in all, a pretty good report. We'd done some damage. Took a hell of a lot of ammo, though, and I didn't see how we were possibly going to have enough to get the job done. But, what the hell, this wasn't a freak's mission, so I was just here as a sailor, man, and a flamethrower on a hovercraft. Just do my job and shut up. We were probably going to run out of ammo at some point, but nobody was out of it yet. Everybody seemed primed for another round, and no real damage to any of our ships. None of that friendly fire catastrophic shit you always read about from the 40s. So good job, us. I didn't see how we were going to pull this off, but it was going better than I'd hoped. Then Rear Admiral Rogers radios out to the task force. We were supposed to break off this engagement and head 170 as a body towards some new designated point black where the entire fleet was going to reorganize. Me and Coastie, and I figure every other man, woman, and freak on board every ship in the task force, looked at each other. What the fuck was this? End quote. What this was, was a separate but not unrelated crisis that had been brewing in the CIC at the USS Nimitz for the past three hours. And really in Washington, too. Earlier that morning... Several hundred miles east of the exclusion zone, the American attack submarine USS Los Angeles had detected a startling amount of surface noise from ships, apparently heading west as a body. Los Angeles' sonar operators identified several of the ships as known Soviet naval vessels, including the carrier Kuznetsov. The sub moved in to confirm the observation and, on doing so, sped away before surfacing to radio a report to sink the command office for the Atlantic fleet. From there, word moved quickly through the Navy High Command. Quickly, satellites were retasked to observe the North Atlantic and they too confirmed that a massive Soviet naval force was bearing directly towards the Sea Monster Exclusion Zone. Now, this was happening as the San Jacinto and Flag Island were slogging their way through Search Sector 5. As that was going on, Admiral Yellen on the Nimitz was receiving orders directly from the White House that he was to consider deterrence of Soviet aggression to be his primary mission, and dealing with sea monsters secondary. Aware that his forces were already engaged with sea monsters, and that failing to deal with this crisis was inevitably going to have grave consequences, He fought for and got authorization to keep up the fight until his own easternmost ships started detecting the Soviet fleet on radar, at which point he was to reassemble his ships into a single disposition to stand off the Russians. So this was the source of the recall order that baffled Delgado and pretty much everyone else in the fleet who wasn't part of Yellen's staff. As everyone sailed to the new rally point, further word came out. The fleet was to consider itself at strategic status Yellow. They were to unload anti-sea monster munitions from weapons racks and instead load up with anti-ship weapons and everybody get ready for a potentially huge naval battle the likes of which hadn't been seen since 1944. Or ever, really. Many of the ships in both armadas sailed with tactical nuclear weapons. And that is it for this week. Join me next week as we continue to look at the standoff and a pirate radio station goes viral. Thanks and uh, be well. well. My stars are there, goddamn sea serpent I see. I ain't right even here. There's a quiz they didn't realize just who they was attacking. Wake up, you sons of bitches. They're busting baggage.